tonight going to finish chapter 17 of Revelation. Uh, we got about nine verses done last week. And just trying to, to keep context, want to kind of do a real fast review of a little bit of what we talked about last week in regards to this woman riding a beast and how the woman is a spiritual harlot seems to be a religious nature. There's going to be a political aspect to Babylon. That seems to be the beast. And the woman is riding the beast. And tonight you're going to see the relationship that the beast has with the woman. And that we talked about the woman, there seems to be a very large number of evidences pointing to that being the Catholicism, the Vatican the office of the papacy, not necessarily Catholics per se, like every individual. I believe that there will be some Catholics in heaven, but the office of the Catholic Church. We uh, see that this woman had a, a cup in her hand. Uh, anytime you see anything in relation to the Catholic Church, you are going to see the cup uh, at Mass. Um, Again, everything is imitating. Uh, the devil imitates everything that is good. We know that she is called the, the mother of harlots. The Catholic Church is called the mother church. And they pride themselves on the fact that really all churches have come from them. They will see. We uh, see pictures here on one of the coins of the Vatican, not only the cup in her hand, uh, that you see here holding that cup, but other things too. We'll see her being the queen of heaven. Uh, we read in Isaiah places where it talks about the queen of heavens, and yet Mary is called the, the queen of heaven, and yet this was a, a pagan thing. Uh, we know that she is drunk on the blood of the saints, and how in the Catholic Church, how millions died. We see the inquisitions, let alone... Um, the apostles that have been persecuted ultimately from Rome, you might say. Uh, the Being seven heads, which are seven kings and seven hills, and Rome, the most famous of cities being the city of seven hills. So in that time, Rome would have easily been identified as this woman and really the early church for the most part did, even though there are places like Istanbul and, and Constantinople, which have also been known as cities of seven hills. Rome is the most famous for sure. Even Washington, D.C. Uh, has been known for that, but it was built on Rome, Maryland. Um, the Vatican is one of the richest nations. As a matter of fact, it's the 18th wealthiest nation in the world per capita. Uh, very rich. We discussed that last week as well. And you know, when you want to talk about the power and you, you want to see who's, who's pulling the strings, who's the puppet master, what do we do? We follow the money. And we know that not only is the Vatican very powerful, but then there are also very powerful individuals, very rich individuals, that come from the Catholic Church. Uh, we know that 
another side note, this seven hill thing that I find fascinating is, as I was mentioning, the devil always mimics the good. Everything God does, the devil mimics. And I think that's why she has a cup in her hand. But the seven hills thing stood out for me a little bit. If you recall, a long time ago, we were looking in an extra biblical source in regards to creation and Genesis in the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. And in the book of Enoch, it talks about this, where the Tree of Life was and its great aroma and it drawing you to it, but it also talked about the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil. But there were seven hills and the Tree of, you know, basically the Garden of Eden was on the middle hill and there were three on this side and three on that, so there are seven hills even there, and it, it makes me wonder if the devil isn't even mimicking that aspect of things. So anyway, a lot of different connections that were there. Uh, the Pope's hat, we talked about its connection possibly to, to Dagon as well. But regardless of that, uh, on the Pope's hat, you will see uh, these three words that are there in Latin. And those three words come out to 666 when you look at the numbers of them. Um, it simply means vicar of the Son of God or basically a representative of Christ. We know the Pope calls himself a vicar of Christ and, and for many centuries, really throughout time, the Catholic Church has viewed the Pope as someone who is infallible, without sin. And uh, history shows that they are filled with sin. Some Catholics will say, well, that means when it comes to the church and to their divine ruling. Um, but uh, the Catholic Church, its history, the popes, is riddled with murder, idolatry, adultery. Uh, it's just terrible. Uh, again, you can read books like A Woman Rides the Beast and others that will give you some of the history. Now, the Catholic Church kind of takes that and they, raises that they raise that history up almost as a badge of honor to say, that it shows that we are the true church because through all of these bad things that have happened, the church has survived. That shows God's hand is with us. And rather than, hey, a tree is judged by its fruit, it's, hey, this, is, this shows us God is with us because we've overcome. Um, we, we have other things beyond Catholicism that it could be as well. And frankly, I... I'm not going to go into this in too great a detail because I don't know. I don't know what is this woman for sure. But I do know this, that of all things for me, the Catholic Church, I mean, it's got like 30 things that you can go boom, 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 right on down the line. With a lot of these other things like the European, European Union, um, its emblem is a woman riding a beast, you can see here on coins and things like that. So I'm not going to pinpoint and say, hey, this is what it is, because the Bible doesn't say. What the Bible does say, however, is that it's going to come from this fourth kingdom, which Daniel said was Rome. And so there is a Roman connection. However, I think we are going to do ourselves a disservice by stopping at Rome. 
we need to remember there's more than just a woman involved in this. She is a mother of harlots. She's going to sit upon many waters, which the Bible says is many nations, peoples, languages. So it can't just be Rome. It can't just be the Vatican. But it is a philosophy, a teaching, uh, a misleading and deception that ultimately is going to go throughout the world. And I find it fascinating that even in Christianity today, Christianity is filled with Catholicism in many ways. It's been said, you know, Martin Luther did a great job in leaving the Catholic Church, but he didn't get enough out. He still kept some of those things. And again, so what we're going to do tonight is I want to show you that we can't just be laser focused and, and just have a narrow focus of just Catholicism here. While I think that it's going to play a part in my understanding and what we understand of the world and what I think throughout history has been understood, Rome has been identified as, as being this woman. There may be others. Maybe it's none of what we'll talk about, but this is the best that I can understand. But they're not acting alone. And so let's get into that. <coughs> and I'm going to just read real quickly what we read last week to keep the context. Then one of these seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, this woman, who sits on many waters which are many peoples, languages, and so on. The Bible tells us this. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, ten horns, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And like we talked about last week, even this Babylon the Great how so much of Babylon was taken in and consumed by the Catholic Church. We talked about the, the Pantheon, and they took their gods and put them into the Vatican and now named it Peter and, and so on. You've got the strangest statues in the Vatican. Uh, you know, Moses has horns, and it's like, where is this stuff coming from? Well, it's, there are reasons for some of those things. But anyway... Uh, when you read this with Catholicism in mind, it doesn't miss a beat. I mean, it, it falls right in line. But again, harlots is plural. That means that there are many spiritual organizations that are affected here by this woman. She is the mother of harlots. Also note that this woman is on a beast. She is the one that sits on the beast, but don't forget the beast is carrying her. 
there's kind of a symbiotic relationship going on with the two. They're helping one another. The woman, yes, gets to ride, but the beast is the one that's ultimately doing the carrying, doing the work. And it's easy for us to point fingers at the woman and forget that the beast is just as much involved. And you're going to see, as I said, that relationship here tonight. So let's pick up here at verse 6, continuing to read a little bit of what we saw last week. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so... He's going, the the angel, hey, why why are you amazed? I'm going to explain this mystery to you. I'm going to explain what you don't understand. And then he's going to go on and give us more mystery. (laughs) Um, What we're going to talk about tonight is not going to be, I think, crystal clear by any means. I'm going to give you a couple of possibilities and show you how things are interpreted, but I don't think we're going to be able to come to any solid conclusion, but I think it's important that you know this so that as history does begin to unfold, it will stand out. Because like you said, he said here, those whose names written are written in the book of life, they will understand. They're going to understand what's going on. Those that are not Christians will not understand, but you will. And it's not just this verse that tells us that. Daniel says that those who are wise will understand. And so you don't have to worry. God's going to reveal and open it up as things happen. Another thing that you need to note is you're going to see Babylon in chapter 18 as well. How, if we're seeing Babylon destroyed, and then you're going to see it in chapter 16, and then in chapter 18, you're going to see it destroyed again. Well, it's because we're looking at two different sides of this. There is a spiritual and a material fall. Right now, we're looking at the spiritual. In chapter 18, we're going to be seeing more of a financial, economic, material world Babylon that's falling. And the reason it's going to fall is because the woman and the beast are going to butt heads. And the beast is going to go after and hate the woman. So what has been a symbiotic relationship throughout centuries in end times is going to change. And that woman is going to be cast off by the beast. And you'll see that coming up here. And so we get into the new verses here now. Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. He's going to explain why this beast has the seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. 
there are also seven kings. So it seems like that there are kings ruling on the mountains, almost like these are seven kingdoms that are there. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And that's where it gets interesting. Five have fallen. A lot of people are going to look at this in the days of John, when John is writing this. Now, part of this might depend on when was the book of Revelation written? Before 70 A.D.? Some say around you know, 65 A.D., so before the persecution, during the persecution of Nero. Others say around 90 A.D., after the fall of Jerusalem. I tend to think it's more after. But, so you're going to see a number of different explanations for this five that have fallen, one is, and the other that has not yet come. Five have fallen if you believe in an earlier writing of the book of Revelation, which again, I, that's not where I'm at, but many are. They will say, well, you had Julius Caesar, Augustus, Tiberius, Claudius, and Caligula. Those five emperors had come and gone by the time John is writing this. Nero is the one who's alive right now, who is, and is the one who had put John on the island of Patmos. And then the one to come is going to be Galba. And it says when he comes, he must continue a short time. Galba only reigned for seven months. This is the preterist view of this interpretation. Because remember, from a preterist view, you have to say all of this has been fulfilled by 70 AD. That's what I think about it too. <laughs> so, I, I don't see that, again, the Antichrist then has come, all of these things. I just, there's too many missing pieces. We'll, we'll touch on some of it. But it says the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. So an eighth king and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Now, if that made all kinds of sense to you, you're doing better than I am. Okay. I think there's possibilities, but it does not make sense, especially when you dive into these kings. You know, the Bible says here in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. We need wisdom to understand this. And this is what it says. Here is the mind which has wisdom there in verse 9. The only way we're going to understand this is by the Spirit of God. And I think in God's timing. Throughout centuries, this book has been talked about. Ideas have been you know, placed, but I don't think any of them completely describe what's happening here. All of them are falling short. Why? The things that we've been talking about for the last three years. These are all for shadows. I think that these kings could be a shadow of what's going to take place in end time events. Similar pictures. And so we're going to dig a little deeper into the possibilities and combinations of these heads that are both hills and kings. Um, de again, depending on the accuracy of the date of Revelation, if it's before 70 AD, 
I guess this could be a possibility as a shadow. If it's after 70 AD, it can't even really fit the shadow thing, and I'm going to show you that here in a moment. Um, Diocletian is going to come to power about a year later, and he's going to actively persecute the saints. So the one who has not yet come was unidentified, but seems to be most likely the Antichrist in an end-time picture. Diocletian doing all these this ten waves of persecution fits a picture of that. So anyway, um, another possibility to that, though, is in order to let Scripture interpret Scripture rather than let history interpret Scripture, which is ultimately what that does, what I just explained, I think history is a poor interpreter of the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. And if we were really going to do a deep dive into this, you need to go, and I'm going to just give you this as your homework instead, you need to go read the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 7 because we're talking about the same exact thing here. And in Daniel 7, you see that there are these four beasts, just like Daniel had the statue that had four, you know, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and then the, the iron and the iron and clay mixed together with the ten toes, and those ten toes are the ten kings. Likewise, in Daniel's fourth beast, we see some similarities here as well. Daniel's beast, however, has one head. John's here has seven heads, but it has ten horns. As you go and you look back at Daniel, you're going to see that he has four beasts. And if you look at the number of heads on all four beasts, you get seven heads. So I think they're talking about the same thing, but now in John's day, they're combined. In Daniel's day, they hadn't happened. And so it was, this one has one head, this one has one head, this one's going to have three heads, and so on. So you get the same, ultimately. And by the way, they do have ten horns, just like John's. It's just the head is different. But I think it's because John is going to combine all of these in one. Why? Because this Antichrist is the culmination of all of these things together. So, for example, these seven hills here. We can look at a, a few different possibilities. Um, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and then after Christ, the Ottomans took over for the Romans. You see, these seven kingdoms, I mean, Egypt ruled that area for a long time before Assyria did. The Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. The Mede and Persians conquered Babylon. Daniel, in Daniel's day, he saw Babylon, Mede, Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans in his dreams because that was when he was around. In John's day, he's looking back and he's seeing all of it, including 
what was there at that time. And so <coughs> in Daniel, the ten kings are to come up in the end times, he says. Unless the end times were 70 AD, then this idea of the Roman emperors can't be. But Daniel is very clear, I'm showing you what is going to happen in the end times. So, he says an 11th king is going to come up. So you got these 10 horns, but then there's an 11th. And the 11th, when it comes, it gets rid of three of the other ones, leaving you with eight. Okay? So, in John's vision, he's talking about this eighth king, another one that comes that is of the seven. What does it mean to be of the seven? It seems to be, hey, I'm on the same team. I've got the same philosophies. I've got, there's some kind of power of the seven. It's coming out of that. But it's separated from the other seven for whatever reason. And that's kind of, so we're seeing a similarity with Daniel and John. It's just that they're looking at it from a different perspective. It is a possibility that the seven heads are really the things of the past. These seven hills on which the woman sits, this spirit, this harlot, this demon of Babylon, has been active in all of these kingdoms of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medes, Greece, Rome. It, 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 we talked a while back about Ishtar, and you know, is Easter really Ishtar, and all of the problems with that. Well, Ishtar, if you look out throughout history, had many different names. It wasn't just Ishtar. Every country had their own forming and fashioning of it. Okay? Same thing with Ra, the sun god. There was Ra, there was Zeus, there was Mithras. There's all these different sun gods. Same thing, but a different name and a different uh, little flavor of it. So is it possible that these seven heads could be these seven ruling uh, people of the past and kind of in some sense in the future because... Uh, the, the Turkish Ottoman Empire, is this one of those things that it was, is not, but will be again kind of thing? That has lost its power. Um, I don't know, we'll, we'll keep looking at it, but let's look at this one more time here. The top part there, the seven heads, this again is the preterist view. you got the five that are, the one that is, and then the other that's going to come for a short period of time. There are some issues that uh, you're going to see if I show you up in the upper right corner, if you can see that. These are all the other Roman kings, Roman emperors. There are more beyond that, beyond Galba, beyond Domitian. What do you do with all of them? And they're going to say, well, this is kind of, you know, maybe before the, it was divided into the, nor, or the, the, the west and the east in Rome. And you, there's all kinds of things. My point is, is you can get something to fit out of these emperors if you want to. You got a lot to play with. And you stop when you want to stop, I guess. 
because this was not the end of the Roman kingdom. So it seems like it's cheating to me to make it just that. At best, I can make it a foreshadowing. Some will say the ten horns then are, you've got the five in, from Daniel's, Daniel's description of it. You have Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and then Nero. But it says then you have three that are going to be pulled out by its roots. They say that's Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. And then you've got these two others that come, Vespasian and Titus. So, depending on whether you're going to use just Revelation 17, or if you're going to go Daniel 7, then you can still play with these Roman kings. All I know is that there is an eighth king that's coming out of the seventh that seems to be coming out of Rome. That's as much as the Bible seems to really tell us, and that that eighth king is the Antichrist. Those things seem to be pretty well laid out in Scripture. I don't see any of these Roman kings being the Antichrist. Domitian, yeah, ten waves of persecution, but let me tell you, that was not the Antichrist. That's not what we're reading in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to leave this, for the most part, behind. I just don't think that this is the right explanation of things. We've kind of talked about this, but again, Daniel 7 had the four parts. An eighth king coming out of the seventh and so on, both are kings and kingdoms, which just makes sense, I guess. But that complicates things because then we've got, are we talking about kings or are we talking about kingdoms? Rome was one kingdom. Later became two if you consider the west and the east split and all of that. All I know is that the Bible seems to be saying that more so all seem to be part of one individual single-minded mission. And we, like I said, we, we talked about that. So here was Daniel's vision. And if you look at it, all kingdoms absorb the one that come before it. Rome was absorbed by who? The Turks, Muslims, the Ottoman Empire. So ultimately, is it possible that Islam, which is still a very powerful, influential source in the world today and becoming more and more all the time, still of the seventh? This eighth one would not be the woman again. The woman is on this beast, but the woman is using the beast, and the beast is using the woman. And one of the other things to connect Catholicism to that is the Pope. In Catholicism, they have joined hands with Islam in almost every way. I've got a picture, and I should have had it in here, of the Pope kissing the Quran. We know that they are uniting in many, many ways. We see that, as speaking of mother of harlots, we've got the tri-faith thing in Omaha. Muslim, 
Christian and Jewish. On Hell Creek. On Hell Creek. You, yeah. You have over in, I don't know if it's Dubai or where it is, the same type of thing. These are sprouting up all around the world. This is not just Omaha. Where these three are uniting together. And so a mother of harlots is kind of starting to form a picture here. So I think Rome and Islam uniting, could that be even pictured in Daniel's last kingdom of Rome, but then you've got iron and clay mixing together. And iron and clay don't mix together. Just like this woman and the beast, they're using each other and it seems, but the beast is going to go after the woman and kick her off. They're not going to be able to stay together. It could. That's true. Two legs, two feet, Shiite and Sunni. I mean, those are the two main Muslim things that are at war and do not mix, <laughs> um, but will come under single-mindedness for a common enemy. Again, these are things to watch. The Bible doesn't say it's Islam. But the Bible does seem to say that each one of that this final kingdom is a combination of the ones before it. So looking at that, could this be the seven hills? Same thing, just kind of give you a bigger picture of it. But ending with that eighth one being um, an Islamic power coming out of it. Now, we're going to see Babylon being destroyed here in chapter 18. I'll touch on this later more, but I find it interesting the Islamic-Babylonian connection there as well. Saddam Hussein was re rebuilding Babylon. Um, as a matter of fact, he rebuilt most of it. He had a palace there and everything. And as a matter of fact, when uh, all the wars were going on for a while, why weren't they destroying it? Well, I think it was Schwarzkopf or one of them said, do not touch Babylon. They weren't going to destroy Babylon. So when Saddam Hussein was in... Uh, What's, uh, where his other palace was? Baghdad. Baghdad, thank you. In Baghdad, that's, he went to uh, Babylon, to Babel, basically, where the Tower of Babel was, the place he had rebuilt. He knew he was safe there. And so they got him later, but bottom line is he knew that. So they destroyed his palace in Baghdad, but they did not destroy his palace in Babylon. The reason he was rebuilding Babylon was because he wanted to give Babylon honor because, well, ultimately, Babylon was the last country that had the power to destroy the Jews. They took them captive. So he was kind of wanted to almost be like the reincarnated Babylonian king to, to do that. So some people were making a big deal of, hey, you know, we see Babylon being destroyed here in chapter 18 coming up next, and Babylon is being rebuilt. 
Isaiah talks about being a house of jackals. Nobody's going to dwell there anymore, all that kind of stuff. And well, to this day, they really don't. But that's what he was going for. <coughs> I don't think that the Babylon of chapter 18 is going to be the literal Babylon that Saddam Hussein was rebuilding. But there are some who think that it will be and could be someday. Maybe that this Antichrist is going to go and make that his seat of power. It's possible. But I don't think that's the one that chapter 18 is talking about. Well, in John's day, then you could look at this as five have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medes and Persians, and Greece. One is being Rome, and one is yet to come being the Roman Ottoman Empire, which did shortly afterwards. And so, again, just another possibility here that rather than just looking at the Roman emperors, we might be looking too narrow-focused there. Paul warns us about a man of lawlessness. What we do know, biblically, is this. This eighth king is going to be a man of lawlessness. That's what you need to watch out for. And speaking of mother of harlots, churches today, by and large, are lawless. Oh, you don't need to follow the law. Jesus took care of that. Okay. Again, we're not talking about salvation. Yes, Jesus took care of salvation, but he didn't get rid of the law. Not one jot or tittle will pass away as long as heaven and earth remain. But churches, by and large, have become anti-law. And when we talk about obeying God, let's keep the Sabbath because it's what God says to do. It's what his disciples did. It's what Jesus did. Now, we're legalistic because we're following the law. And you are to be anti-law. So, the Antichrist is going to be a man of lawlessness. It is the Catholic Church who has raised up as a banner to say that you're not to keep the Sabbath among many other things. Anyway, just keep that picture in mind. We talked about that as well earlier, but 2 Thessalonians 2 says this uh, in verse 1 and following, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come, Boy, that almost sounds like preterism to me. Okay? Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. I don't think he's been revealed yet. You will know, if you have a mind of wisdom, one of the biggest things you are to watch for is this right here. And when we're telling it, oh, the law is gone, the law is gone, the law is gone, and some guy is going to come up and say, hey, the law, you don't need to do these things anymore, I think a lot of people are going to buy into that because you don't have the mind of wisdom. Don't let anyone deceive you. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, 
so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, like I said, we are the temple. And I don't think there's ever going to be a godly third temple. I think man will build a third temple, but that's not God's doing. That's not God's desire. God's desire is you are the third temple in which he lives. But I think man's going to build one. We've talked about before, already it's there. It just hasn't been put together. It's just, you know, the a Lego set being ready to be built. The, um, what's the name of that place? My, the Temple Institute has all the pieces of the temple ready to go. All they need is the Temple Mount. I think there's a day that, and isn't it interesting that who owns that? The Muslims. Another connection there. Well, kind of, maybe owns not a good word. I, you're right. Some people have said that, yeah, that there is no, there never will be a third temple. And what it is, is it's this lie and deception and lawlessness being set up in the heart of man. I tend to think there may be aspects of truth to that. However, I do also believe there will be a king, an antichrist. Moving on, it says, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So Paul is telling us this man of lawlessness is being held back. By who? By what? The restrainer, ultimately, I think it's us. I think it's Christianity. I think it's believers that are there. But what's happening that we have seen in the church, and we've seen it more than we have in centuries in the last three years, is a falling away of people in the church. A woke church, a progressive church, a church filled with compromise, lawlessness, and socialism and everything else. Yeah. So, he goes on, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. So it's already there, always has been. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Some say that that's us, the church, until the church is taken out of the way. The, those that are praying, some say it's the Holy Spirit that is doing that. Some say it's a particular angel that is doing this. Don't know. Maybe it's all of the above. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Sounds like a future thing, not a preterist thing. Not something that happened in 70 AD. That once... This Antichrist comes, this man of lawlessness, though what's going to happen is the Lord is going to come back and destroy with the splendor of his coming, which sounds like Revelation 21 and 22 to me. Well, even you might even say into 19 and 20, but anyway. Bottom line, <clears throat> I am seeing, if we look at our world right now, what's happening that's so evil is why? It's because we, as a church, have failed. 
to restrain ungodliness. We have failed to stop, you know, the lawlessness. We have fallen asleep. And when we do that, the evil just rises up out of everywhere. It makes me wonder if this isn't a picture of the end times that, yeah, the church stops doing its job. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. How did Nero do that? How did Galba do that? Or Diocletian? Or any of the Roman emperors? They didn't. Again, a preterist view can make a nice little story and say, oh, this fits, this fits. But when you look at the whole picture, there is no way preterism is real. Absolutely no way, biblically. Only can you do that by, by picking and choosing history, but not, and again, letting history interpret your Bible, not letting the Bible interpret your Bible. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Loving truth. Guys, do we love truth? I mean, that's why I can't stand to, to listen to somebody spout off about evolution or whatever. It's like, I love truth, and I'm going to defend it. I love my wife. If somebody is going to you know, go off and attack her, you're going to have to deal with me. If somebody's going to attack Jesus, you're going to have to deal with me. That's what it means to love something. And we need to be standing up for truth. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Well, I'll tell you what. I've always wondered, and I've said this before about this verse, a strong delusion so that they believe the lie. I thought, how? Why? I mean... Logic is always going to work, right? <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Logic and reason have passed away. That's just your truth. Yeah, that's just my truth. Yeah. Verse 12 goes on. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. Sounds like a future. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. That's not preterism. Ten kings, one hour. We'll talk about that one hour in chapter 18. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So these ten kings, I think are ten true individuals, but they're going to give their power to this Antichrist. In other words, their allegiance, their, hey, my army is as your army. Okay? Whatever. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. We are the ones that are with him. The Lamb is Jesus, and 
They're going to go after God and anything godly. Jude 1, 14 and 15 says, Do you not know that when the saints will judge the world? That was 1 Corinthians 6 too. Jude says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Almost sounds like that's what's going on here in chapter 17. So if there are ten horns that are hills and kings, and now there are ten he- uh, horns which are kings, we have a total of 17 kings involved here in end time somehow. But we know that Jesus remains triumphant. He is the supreme authority, will always be. And as you're going to see in chapter 19, he is the one who is going to overcome this beast and all who follow that beast by the sword of his mouth. We'll get to that later, but just to remind you of it. This is what Daniel said about this Antichrist. He prophesied saying this in chapter 8, verse 25. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. What amazes me is this superiority in these kings who have authority and power. I don't know who's in control of this world right now, but as we said last week, it's not Biden. It's not, you know, the king of England. Yeah, well, yeah. Or Prince. It's not any of them. There are people pulling strings like George Soros and others that are controlling this world right now. And something's controlling them. And they are of one mind. Who their guy is, I don't know, but they're giving they're going to give their authority to somebody. I think that's what we're seeing here. John 16:33, don't forget this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. With all of this stuff going on, it's going to be very easy to get scared, to get worried, to to, you know, wonder, but don't lose heart. Guys, we know what the end is. This guy seems to have power. They think they have power, but they're going to lose it. So, um, just here again, I'm not going to uh, go over this too much, but in a little while, this one, this, this one that comes out that is going to be there for a little while, that word little, it doesn't, it could not, it doesn't necessarily mean a little period of time, you know, like Galba reigning for seven months. It may mean that, but that word has also used in also, it could be like a little stature or a little, um, little strength. So that he has but a little time or he has a little strength of which he does a lot. I don't know. I kind of tend to think it's a little period of time. I don't know. But... Um, Revelation 17, verse 15 goes on and it says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot or this woman sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So this woman 
this false spiritual being is sitting upon nations and peoples, many languages, many tongues. It seems to be like the world. Catholicism has spread throughout. The ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. Make her desolate and naked. Eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So whoever these ten kings are, right now they're using her. She's riding, they're using each other. But there's a point coming here. (coughs) Something's going to happen. Probably they gain the strength. You've done all you can. We don't need you anymore. We've always hated you. Islam, let me tell you, they hate Catholics. Okay, but oh yeah, we'll pretend to hold hands. Right? They hate the Jews. We'll pretend to hold hands. Okay, any of the harlot. Now, by the way, in that sense, the Jews, Orthodox Judaism, that's a harlot too. That's a false prostitute that has, without Jesus, you're a harlot. And here they are, this harlot, many women, all of these things. But whoever's the kingpin, the, the beast, will turn and going to destroy it. Which we could mean then Catholicism, if that's what it is, will be wiped out. As well as, you know, any other Christian denomination that's not following Christ. Um, it seems then, a, even though these aren't the words used, a world government that's going to unite these kings together. The beast and the kings under him are going to hate the woman. The Antichrist is going to be more political in nature rather than spiritual in nature and maybe that's why they're going to turn but the question is why would the ten horns hate the harlot because they're not part of the system they're not going to be part of the system think about it islam in a sense too with america islam is with america you know they're coming here they hate america but they're going to use it But you see, America is not part of the system. It's the same kind of thing. At first, they're going to use one another, but that's going to change. So are these ten kings Islamic? Possibly. Um, The end of this economic system that you're going to see in chapter 18 is going to be their ruin as well, though. And it seems that the other nations are going to watch as this Babylon is destroyed. They don't want to step in and help out because they don't want to share in her fate. So they're going to watch from afar off, as you're going to see in chapter 18. But uh, we'll get into that next week. But just know that that's coming up and we'll get into that even further. But it's amazing how God uses one ungodly king or nation to judge another ungodly king or nation. We have seen that time and time throughout history, and that's what's going on here. We've got both the woman and the beast being awfully ungodly, but they're going to try to destroy one another. 
Verse 17, for God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now this woman is called a city. That's also interesting because what is the Vatican? Its own city, its own country. So... I don't know. It's just, like I said, you can take 30 things that just, boom, fits Rome. It fits Catholicism. Um, Whenever the political force is going to gain their power, gain their own religious control, you might say, then that's when the one one world government is going to take place. And that is when then the beast is going to turn on her and receive God's divine judgment. And here's the other interesting thing about that to me. What does the Bible say? Who gets judged first? The world or the church? The church. First, okay, judgment begins in the house of God, with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not worship God? But the Bible even says judgment begins with the church first. Who gets judged first? The woman. The city. Babylon's going to fall in chapter 18. Then we're going to see the beasts fall later. So just another interesting point. So just as Jonah symbolically foretold the death and resurrection of Jesus, you know, just as Jesus was going to be, or Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so the Son of Man would be, I almost wonder if the Babylonian events that we see in the past are symbolic of end times. And maybe you want to look at that in its history a little bit more. But anyway... um, Ezekiel 16, 37 and 38 says, Therefore I am going to gather all your lovers with whom you found pleasure, those you loved as well as those you hated, and I will gather them against you from all around and will strip you in front of them, and they will see all your nakedness. I will sentence you to the punishment of women who commit adultery and who shed blood. I will bring upon you the blood vengeance of my wrath and jealous anger. The beast may be the one that turns on the woman, but the beast only has the power that God allows it to have. It's God's judgment, ultimately, on them. So, I think possibly these seven heads, seven hills are the past, but the ten kings are the future ones that we're going to see in end times. Then, verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits, just the same thing here. Um, We've already looked at it. Let me see here. I feel like I I kind of wonder, like Babylon, just to touch, set you up for chapter 18, is Islam going to use the USA? Have they been using the USA and one day going to turn on her as well? I think quite possible. Like I said, we'll talk about that in chapter 18. Um, I'm not going to get into any of that because I need to finish my last slide here. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth 
Their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. We're jumping ahead here, obviously. We're in chapter 19, verse 19. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. So as I said, the church is judged first, and in chapter 19, the beast is going to get his. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, Jesus, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So, I just wanted to jump ahead to close this out to let you know the outcome of all of this. That the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet are going to be destroyed in chapter 19. But the one that's behind them, who gives them their power, remains. But it's just locked up for a thousand years in chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, then that beast, that dragon, is released. And then there's a second Armageddon battle, which you'll see. And then that dragon is rounded up and cast into the abyss, the same place that the beast and the false prophet had been thrown here in chapter 19. A lot of times we think, oh, one and done. Here comes the, or, you know, the end times battle, boom. Hey, we're in heaven. Yeah, it's all over. No, it's so much more complicated than that according to Revelation. The woman's going to get its judgment. Chapter 18, we see that Babylon falls. But we've got these three, the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet still around. So then in chapter 19, the two get it. In chapter 20, after the millennial reign, then the third guy gets it. And then it is finished. And we're going to celebrate for an eternity. So, all right. That is where we are going to leave off. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for just your word. We may not understand it all, but we're clinging and claiming your promise that when these things happen, you will give the righteous and understanding of your word, that those who are wise will understand. In the meantime, Lord, let us be wise and let us bring and lead many to righteousness that we might shine like the stars forever and ever. Lord, the time is now, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Lord, we're here looking for a job. Hire us, take us and show us the fields that we are to work in. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen.